love the book of James, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring James to write this, for giving him perfect truth from you to put in this letter and just how powerful it is. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me now. Give me the heart I need. I need your help. Give me the wisdom I need that I could never have on my own. And, uh, and let your word just be unleashed in our hearts, especially, Lord, those of us who are in the thick of temptation right now. I pray that something very powerful would happen. And those of us who are not in the thick of temptation right now, that we'd be equipped for when we are. So come and do a powerful work, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you uh, stop and think about like God and uh, the universe and, and your own life, this is what happened to me this week, something just struck me as really strange. Like really, really strange. So let me see if I can walk you through this and see if you feel the strangeness of this. Okay? The Bible teaches that God has revealed himself to us clearly, simply through creation. I mean, just think about what God has done. He's created you. Okay, here you are. And he's given you the gift of life. What an amazing gift. Life, right? You didn't do anything. He gave it to you. And he's given you a fa- just a fantastic body which can do all kinds of things. And he's, he's placed you on a beautiful uh, world in the earth. I mean, with, with sunsets and with clouds and with oceans and waves that break and with things like wine and cheese, right? And golden retrievers, okay? And snow. I mean, this amazing world he's, he's given to us to live on. And then he's placed this world in just an, an incredible universe. I saw some pictures from the Hubble online this week, okay? So he's placed this beautiful world in this amazing universe. And all of that God has done to make it crystal clear to us He is infinitely powerful. He's flawlessly wise. And his heart is just full of joy. And he just loves to do good things for people. His heart is just overflowing with goodness and compassion. So God's displayed all of that to us. So it's really clear as we look at God and we look at everything else, it's clear God alone is our all-satisfying treasure. To know him to love him, to trust him, it's everything. We know that. We just see it from creation itself. Okay, but now what's so strange, so strange, is even though we know that, we find ourselves being drawn away from God to other things. I thought of this picture like a, like a tug of war. Okay, if you're in a tug of war. So let's say over here, is God as he's revealed in Jesus through the cross, forgiving sin, changing our hearts, satisfying us, providing for us, helping us, strengthening us. All the wonderful things that God is is revealed in Jesus. And over here is everything else. Okay? These things will not satisfy us. They're empty. It's it's, it's not worth giving your life to pursuing these things. And so here you are. You've got the rope. And we'd think, look at him. We'd just be pulled towards him. Right? But what we find is that so often of the time we're being pulled away from him. You feel that? I mean, just here's me. I know 
by experience and from what the Word teaches, but I, I have felt this, and I know you have too, my highest joy is in glorifying Jesus Christ. Nothing satisfies me like seeing Him and just glorifying Him. So I, I, there's this pull towards Him. But, but so often I find myself being pulled towards glorifying me. I want people to adore me. True story. I want people to worship me much of the time. I hate that. But that's just what's so strange. It's like, why? <laughs> I'd think I would just be like, glory to you, instead of, do they like me? Do they like me? Am I cool? Am I the best? Right? <laughs> okay? So that may not be your issue, all right? But you've got them. You've got them. Right? I mean, for you, it may be being pulled. In fact, you may be feeling this right now. You're pulled towards worrying about this problem instead of being pulled towards just trusting. Look at who you are. I can trust you for everything. But yet you're being pulled towards worry. Right? Same problem. Or maybe you're being pulled away from heart satisfaction and contentment in God, and in your heart there's this pull towards pornography. Strange thing. Why? Or instead of being pulled towards God, it's you're being pulled towards Bitterness. You're being, instead of being pulled towards God, you're pulled towards greed. And so can you feel how strange that is? All of us, even though we see who God is, and we think we would just be like moving towards Him all the time with all our hearts, we find that much of the time we're being pulled away from Him. So here's the question. Where does that pull away from God come from? Where does it come from? And how should we think about that when it's happening? How serious is it to be pulled away from God? And what can we do about it? Now those are the three questions that James answers in our passage for today. I love James 1, 13 through 18. So let's turn there. James 1, 13 through 18. If you need a Bible, we'd like you all to have a copy of God's Word to look on with us as we study this. So raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Uh, James 1 is on page 1011 in these Bibles that we're passing out. little recap on the book of James. It's actually a letter that was written around A.D. 47, A.D. 47, by James, who's Jesus' brother. He, he became a follower of Jesus and became a significant leader in the church in Jerusalem. He loved his flock there. But persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and a number of them had to flee for their lives. And so they had gone north to North Palestine, to Syria, and basically were homeless refugees for the, for the cause of Christ. Because of their faith in Christ, they had to leave. And so James knew they were going through a very difficult time. And so he wrote this letter and sent it up north to strengthen them and to encourage them in trusting Jesus. And we've seen what he's uh, said so far to them. In verses 2 through 4, he tells them, You can count this trial as all joy. And he tells them why, verses 2 through 4. Verses 5 through 8, he says, I know you're going to face lots of questions during this time of, of difficulty and trial. Ask God for wisdom. He'll give you all the wisdom you need all the time. So ask him. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. That's verses 5 through 8. Then last week, we saw verses 9 through 12, where James knows they've, they've suffered a terrible decline in social status. And James says, listen, social status doesn't count for anything. All that matters is that you're trusting Jesus Christ. We looked at that last week. And then this morning, we're going to take a look at verses 13 through 18, where he addresses a deception that he knows 
some of them are struggling with, which is making it very hard for them to resist temptation. So read verses 13 through 18 with me, and then we'll unpack it more. Verse 13, James 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, so what deception are they facing? Notice the word deception in verse 16. Did you catch that? Do not be deceived. And then we see at least one aspect of the deception in verse 13. He says to them, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Okay, here's what's going on. They're in a time of severe, severe trial. Okay, like I said, they'd fled from their homes probably with only what clothes they had on their backs and what possessions they could carry in their hands. They were homeless refugees up in Syria and North Palestine. And and every trial... When a trial comes your way, every trial brings with it a slew of temptations. Okay? And they were facing severe temptation. They're facing severe trial, which meant that they were facing just a ton of temptations. So I just try to think, what are some of the temptations? What are some of the pulls away from Jesus? What are some of the pulls that they could have experienced in this time of significant trial? So I thought one would be, they could be pulled away from trusting Jesus towards despair, right? Could you feel that? And that would be very easy to, to be pulled away from Jesus into despair. I thought it would be easy for them to be pulled away from Jesus' mercy and his command to love your enemies. They could easily be pulled towards anger and revenge against those who were going to kill them and burn their homes down. You could feel that, couldn't you? Just this pull towards revenge. I thought it'd be really easy also, given what they had just come through, to be pulled away from trusting Jesus where he says, be bold, tell everybody about who I am. It'd be really easy to be pulled towards, I'm not sure we're going to let people know we're Christians anymore. Do you feel that? And there's probably a bunch of other ones. So they were, they were feeling all these temptations in the midst of this trial. But the problem was, they were misunderstanding where these temptations were coming from. Where was this pull away from Jesus? Where was that pull coming from? Where, where, where was the energy for that pull? What was pulling them? What was it? And they thought that what was pulling them was God. So if you can picture this tug of war and they're being pulled away from God, they thought that God was on this end of the rope pulling them. Okay? 
Now, what's the problem if you think that? Well, I mean, how long would you be in a tug of war against God? You would just like go with it, right? I mean, like, why, why even bother to resist? It'd be really easy to succumb to the temptation if you thought it's God who's doing the pulling, because you are no match for God. And so, Paul, James is very concerned here with how this would make them basically immediately to succumb to temptation. So, have you ever thought? that it was God who was tempting you? Have you ever thought that, that God was like the one, as you're feeling this pull away from him and, and, and into something that's not of him? Have you ever felt like it's God himself? Like God's the one pulling you just to kind of see what you're going to do, see how much you can handle? That's what they thought. Okay, now, what we have to understand is, here's why James is so direct on this. It's because, like I said, if you think God's at the other end of the rope pulling you, you will succumb really quickly. So James is very direct here. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. The reason is, for God cannot be tempted with evil. See, if if God is the one luring and enticing you, then that means God is the one who is doing something evil in luring and enticing you into the evil. But James says here very clearly, and we know, God can't be tempted by evil which is what would have to be true of God if he was luring and enticing you into sin. So God is not the one pulling you away from himself. Okay? Just going to make that really clear in our minds. So that's the first point that James wants to make there in verse 13. Now, where then do temptations come from? Verse 14. So when you're tempted, I'm sorry, read verse 14. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Where's temptation coming from? You. Me. What's pulling you from Jesus is your own heart. And this is very sobering and very humbling to think of. I mean, here is Jesus Christ displayed in all of his beauty and glory, and love, and sovereignty, and goodness, and authority, and wisdom. (laughs) Look! And here's like, just junk over here, everything else in comparison. And when I feel myself being pulled like towards gossip instead of Jesus, or towards greed instead of Jesus, it's because my own heart is desiring this junk more than Jesus. Oh, that's just, it should be very humbling. It's like the buck stops here. This heart is turning from him and desiring this more. It's tragic. Now, you might say, well, now, wait a minute. How can that be that my own heart is, is pulling me away from Jesus if God has saved me and given me a new heart? Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 18, God has taken out the heart of stone, given you a new heart of flesh. How can that be possible? That's a very good question. And here's the answer. You are right that when God saved you, he looked upon you, and you, you were living steeped in rebellion against God, maybe doing it in a churchy way, maybe doing it in a totally unchurchy way, but when he looked at you, your heart was just in rebellion against God. And, and, and God set his heart upon you and loved you and and because of Jesus, he changed your heart. He took out your heart of stone, subdued your, your rebellious will, and gave you a brand new heart, which, oh, remember that for the first time when you saw Jesus? 
for the first time you, you owned up to who he was, you loved him, he poured his love into your heart, and you were satisfied for the first time. Your heart was changed profoundly. New nature, born again, as Jesus taught. The problem, though, is that when God saves you, he doesn't take all of that old heart out. He doesn't take all of your sin away. He's going to progressively be removing that, and then finally when you stand before him in glory, you will be completely transformed. But in this life, as a saved person, you still have sin in you. That's why you and I, from time to time, still feel pulls in our own hearts, coming from our own desires, away from God. Oh, don't you just hate that? I mean, this last week, I got a phone call. And I hung up, and just pride and envy and jealousy rose up in my heart. And it just like, this is unbelievable. I hate this. I hate that in me. Oh, I hate that. And it's all, it's all, it's all good because God it, you just it drives you to the cross. Say, I, Jesus, I need you. Change me. Unless you change me, I'm undone. This is what I am. Change me. And he, he does. He helps. Okay, so see, that's why we're tempted. It's, it's just to put your hand on your own heart and say, this is why I'm tempted, okay? Not my heart, your heart, all right? This is why we're tempted, okay? And this is really crucial because I'm not sure how many of us say that God tempts us, but I think a lot of us go to, it's my circumstances is why I'm struggling with this temptation the way I am, right? Let me give you for example. Maybe... Um, Maybe men, you think that the reason you're struggling with sexually wrong thoughts is because your wife hasn't been satisfying you sexually. Okay? Now, just a little parenthesis here. It's important, wives, 1 Corinthians 7, to seek to satisfy your husband sexually. And husbands, 1 Corinthians 7, it's important to seek to satisfy your wife sexually. Okay? Sex is a wonderful gift from God. His idea, he's not embarrassed by it, okay, he, he thought it up, awesome gift, you know, okay, but, men, if you're struggling with wrong sexual thoughts, the cause is not your wife, the cause is your heart, it's your heart that's pulling you away from Jesus, help me, meet me, strengthen me, satisfy me, oh, no, it's, it's your heart that's pulling you away. So the cause is not your circumstances. It's your own heart. And we just need to go there and fess up. Because unless we come clean with the cause, we'll not be able to move into the solution. Okay? We've got to just really go there. So that's why. So like if I'm feeling greed, like I want more money. I feel more secure. I just want some more money. If I'm, if I'm desiring that, which I think we all desire at times, it's my heart which is now desiring more money. More than God who owns everything, who promises to totally provide and take care of me. I mean, what an ugly thing. Isn't that ugly? Yes. It's absolutely ugly. It's just, but see, we've got to feel it's like, that's just, it, it's not just strange, which is where I started. It's just wrong. Oh, do you hate that when that desire comes up? Okay. Or if, you're, if your heart's being pulled maybe like towards drinking too much. Nothing wrong with moderation, okay. But if you just, it's like, you, you want that, that buzz, the pleasures of that buzz more than just beholding Jesus and loving him and knowing him. It's like, 
That versus that? What are you thinking? Right? So you've got to see it say, this is wrong. Okay, so are you feeling it? All right. I hope you are. Now, that should make us think, so when I'm sinning, I'm, I'm desiring this little nothing more than God. Like, that looks really serious. For my heart to say, fooey on you, I want this little half-eaten nothing over here, that's like really a serious problem, and it is serious. Look at how serious James tells us it is in these next verses. How serious is temptation? This is an amazing, sobering description. Now don't get too depressed when we read this, because there's going to be good news in verses 16 through 18, so hang on. Okay, just hang on. Good news is coming, but you've got you to gotta own the bad news before you can welcome the good news. Verses 14 and 15. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, but now at this point, there's no sin yet. Notice sin comes in next step, verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, let me just use one, another illustration about sexual temptation. Sexual temptation is just so rampant. Okay, so let's say you're a guy and you're at Starbucks and a beautiful woman walks in. Now, uh, you notice her. And at that moment, there's this, sort of being pulled, okay? Now, at that moment, sin hasn't happened yet. Just, I'm being tempted. Because at that moment, you can just say, Jesus, help me. You are my all-satisfying treasure. Let me see you more clearly. Help me to remember the covenant I made with my wife that I would be faithful to her in my eyes and in my thoughts. So that moment you can call upon Jesus. He'll meet you. No sins happens. Right? Ah, help. Ah, okay? Right? Don't oversimplify it, but Jesus can meet you in those times. So when that, when that desire first flares up, it isn't sin. Now, what if you don't respond that way, though? Beginning of verse 15. Then desire when it has conceived. Okay, so something else has happened. Desire kicked in. Now desire has conceived. And it's giving birth to sin. So the first flaring up isn't sin. But if you let that desire continue. Hmm. Okay. If you let that desire continue, it will, it will conceive and give birth to sin. So at this point now, You've turned from Jesus. Your back's to Jesus. And you're, you're engaged in wrong sexual thoughts. And now, it's sin. It's sin. But all is not lost. Okay? Jesus died to pay for sin. His death broke the power of sin. Freedom from sin's guilt, freedom from sin's power, is available through the cross. Okay, so if at that point then you repent, confess, so you're just like, ah, oh, and you just, Jesus, forgive me, wash me, change me, cleanse me, and if you do that from the heart, he will wash you clean, he will change your heart, you'll be back connected with him, satisfied, free. That's what'll happen. So the first flaring up 
is in sin. If you respond to it, turn to Jesus. If you don't, and it conceives and brings forth sin, all is not lost. You can repent at that point, be forgiven, be changed, be back with Jesus. Now, what if you don't repent, though? What if you never come back to the place where you are surrendered before Jesus Christ? Read all of verse 15, and notice especially the last line. Then sin, when it has conceived, gives birth... I'm sorry, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin... And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So if you let those desires conceive and give birth to sin, and if you don't repent, surrender to Jesus, come come back to that place where you're fully surrendered to him, that sin will continue to grow. So you've got to understand this. Sin, unchecked, will not stay the same, it will grow. Sin grows. It's like a tumor. It's like your doctor saying, I'm sorry, you've got a a cancerous tumor in you. Unless we do something, it's going to grow. Sin, I'm sorry, it's going to grow. It will grow. So left unchecked, it could grow into a pattern of sexual lust. It could grow into an affair. It could grow into having a heart that's just cold, towards Jesus Christ. But if sin is not dealt with earnestly from the heart, it will grow. It's a cancerous tumor that will grow. And if there's no confession and repentance, it will become full-grown. And James says that when it becomes full-grown, it will bring forth death. Death, which James means eternal, spiritual death. That's what he means. He's not pulling any punches here. Sin, if not dealt with, sin if you let it harden your heart, sin if you never come clean and come back to that place where you're in surrender to Jesus, it will bring about eternal spiritual death. It, it, it will mean separation from God under his punishment in hell forever. Now, some of your minds are going here thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, does that mean that somebody can lose their salvation? And I think the Bible teaches very clearly, no. You can't lose your salvation. What this would mean isn't that you've lost your salvation. What this means, if you, if you never come to a place of repentance and confession before Jesus for your sin, if you never come back to that place where you just surrendered to him and loving him and walking with him, you never were saved to begin with. You didn't have salvation. So that, that's what James is warning us and his readers about here. So when, when you feel that tug in your heart, which we will feel dozens of times today, probably, okay? Let's be clear here. It's not like, well, that happened. Yeah, I remember back in 2007, I had a tug in my heart once. <laughs> I did, but <laughs> it's a whole lot of water under the bridge since then. So we deal with this a lot, but James wants us to feel the seriousness of sin, it is, it's worse than if your doctor said, I'm sorry, you've got a cancerous tumor. And unless we do something, it will grow. And if it continues to grow, it will kill you. It's, it's at least that serious because we're dealing with eternity here, not just physical, mortal life. Okay, so then, let's get to the good news. All right? How can we avoid sin and death? 
I think in verses 16 through 18, James gives us two steps that we can take. First step. Go back to the beginning. Don't think God is the one who's pulling you away from him. That's that's the point of verse 16, I think. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived about this temptation. When you think about, if you're being tempted, and if you think, what's God doing now? And if your answer is, he's on this end of the rope trying to lure and entice you into sin, that's going to really mess you up. Right? So don't think that, because that's not what God is doing. Okay? What is God doing? That's the second step. Verse 17. Set your heart on God's, here's how I try to summarize verses 17 and 18, God's passionate, perfect, and constant goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's unpack these two verses. This is a lot here in verses 17 and 18. Verse 17. Every good gift. Somebody prayed about this verse earlier this morning. I loved it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Okay, now most commentators think that this is, is a Jewish poem that James is quoting from and adapting to his own use, which is why it's kind of a, of a, a maybe an obtuse way to make the point, but let's read it slowly and see if you can't see what James is saying. It's an amazing statement that James makes about God here. First of all, every good gift and every perfect gift, it's from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So God gives good and perfect gifts. That's the first half of verse 17. So God isn't up in heaven just kind of watching you to see what kind of a life you can make for yourself. God is a God who gives gifts. And every gift he gives is good, every gift he gives is perfect. He gives good and perfect gifts. So, so God's heart, if you, could, if you could see God, it's like he has gifts and he's, he's like, he's, he's wanting to give them to you. This is who God is, always. He's always wanting to give you good and perfect gifts. Now link that then with the last part of verse 17. He's the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never changes. Okay, so if at one moment God is giving you good and perfect gifts, and if God never changes, what is God's stance towards you all the time? He's always ready to give you good and perfect gifts. So that's what James wants us to understand here, is that, is that God is always longing to give us good and perfect gifts. You will never turn to God and it's like, oh man, he's a little grumpy today. You know, it's, ah, I'll check back with him tomorrow. (laughs) No, 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 no. Every time you look at God, he's full of joy and fellowship of the Trinity. He's overflowing with goodness and he has good for you. He, because of Jesus Christ, if you're trusting him, God's stance towards you Every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every year, every century, from now into eternity, he will always be looking towards you because of Jesus with passion to do you amazing, constant, perfect good. Hey, now, let's keep going. Then I think in verse 18, James wants to give us an example of the kind of good and perfect gift that God has given to us in in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. 
of his own will, he brought us forth. It's a word for being born. It's referring to being born again, regeneration. So of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So if you're trusting Jesus, then this has happened to you. Okay, now let's just pick it apart a phrase at a time. Of his own will. James emphasizes that. That is, this is something that no one had to force God to do. No one had to coerce God to do this. This is something God was just bursting to do. Oh, I want to do this. That was in God's heart. And, and what, what was this thing bursting in God's heart to do? Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Let's try to unpack this now. He brought us forth out of something. What did he bring us out of? Well, the Bible teaches that before, in fact, somebody prayed this too, before we were saved, we were God's enemies. I was running away from God. My heart was not interested in God. I was passionate about rebelling against God in kind of churchy, you know, socially acceptable ways, but still just as dark as any other way. But if you are trusting Jesus now, here's what happened. God looked down upon you and saw that you were deserving only of eternal punishment and wrath from him. But God, in just amazing love and goodness, set his affection on you, chose to love you set his fatherly heart of affection and care upon you. And because of his affection for you, his love for you, which was purchased through Jesus Christ, he changed your heart, as we already said, took out your heart of stone, gave you a new heart, so you repented of your sin, you put your trust in Jesus, you received him as your Savior and your Lord and your treasure. He brought you forth of his own will. He brought you forth by the word of truth. He caused you to be born again. You were deserving wrath and judgment forever. And God punished Jesus in your place, set his affection upon you, set his love upon you, and saved you. If you're trusting Jesus right now, that's what God did. That shows you God's love for you. And then the next phrase that he says is, the outcome of this is that we should be a kind of first fruits of his uh, creatures. Kind of first fruits of his creatures. So I think... Picture it like this. God looks down on humanity and everybody's turning from him. Everybody's turned from him. Nobody's responding to him. And God says, this isn't good. This isn't right. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to, through my son's death on the cross, I'm going to save and form a new humanity. A brand new humanity. A vast multitude that no one can count. From every nation, tongue, and tribe. Men and women from all over. A vast, huge multitude. I'm going to create a new humanity. And... They will be with me on the new heavens and the new earth forever, enjoying my presence, my glory, my honor, my joy forever. Now, if you are trusting Jesus right now, then you are a first fruits of that new humanity. You are the beginnings of that new humanity. I mean, this was 2,000 years ago, the beginnings of the beginnings. We're still in the beginnings of this. You're the first fruits of this new humanity. Okay, so all of this, James' point is simply to say, The way that you resist sin. There's there's other passages that give other approaches, but here's the one James gives us here. The way you overcome temptation is just stop and ponder God's constant, 
perfect, lavish, undeserved goodness towards you in Christ Jesus. Just ponder that. And here's why. When you're being being pulled towards lust or pulled towards gossip or pulled towards anything except besides Jesus, I guarantee you, you are not seeing the truth about God and his goodness as revealed to us in Christ Jesus. You're not seeing it. Because it's, it's psychologically impossible to see verses 17 and 18, to see God and his goodness as revealed in Christ Jesus. It's impossible to see that at the same time as you're being pulled away from him into sin. You cannot do it. So here's the the picture I I thought of. You've got this tumor of temptation, which could grow into sin and then grow into death. And thinking about God's goodness for you in Christ Jesus, thinking about that is like zapping it with radiation. And as you do that, if if you'll stop and think about God's goodness, You'll read verses 17 and 18. Jesus, help me to see this. Help me to feel this. It's like, click. And, and the, the tumor, you will feel this, will start to shrink. Just like a tumor will start to shrink when you zap it with radiation. You ponder God's goodness as revealed for you in Christ Jesus. You open up the scriptures. You say, Jesus, help me. I'm just not, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not seeing it right now. Help me. Verses 17. You are unwavering. You are good. Right now, you're looking towards me with good. You're not on this end of the rope trying to entice me into sin. You are on this end of the rope pulling me towards you. Help me to see that. And if you'll see it, it's just like radiation zapping a tumor and it will start to shrink and the doctor will come to you and say, good news, it's gone. And you'll feel that in your heart. I mean, I know many of you feel that frequently, constantly. Some of you don't. Some of you are, are in the throes of a temptation right now that is growing. It's, it's become sin already, and it is growing. And what, what the Lord, what James, what James would say to you this morning, and I'm going to say this in his place, what James would say to you is that if you have an area of, of unrepented sin and you're not dealing with it, it will become death. It will, unless you turn. And say, I'm not seeing you. Help me. Open my eyes. Show me your goodness. Because when, when you see God's goodness, it's just, it's just like a magnet. You've, you have felt this. You turn and you say, show me who you are. And you start to see. And it's just like, hmm. Okay, it's just like a magnet, right? The, the iron filings are moving towards him, right? Now, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. It's war. It is war. It will take effort. Not to grit your teeth so I stop sinning, but to see Jesus. The effort goes into seeing Jesus, trusting Jesus. That's the effort. Not into willpower, trying to be good, but in seeing Jesus. It all flows from seeing Jesus. Okay, let's, let's just see if there's any questions at this point before we wrap up. Yeah, I, I don't think this necessarily means uh, physical death. Yeah. I don't think the point is physical death. Let me clarify. Okay. But I, when you look at how James uses, he uses the same phrase in chapter, end of chapter 5, uh, verses 19 and 20. What he means here is spiritual death, not physical death. And uh, he's, he's just saying the same thing that Jesus said, for example. If your eye causes you to stumble, what do you need to do? Pluck it out. Pluck it out. Why? 
is this is a metaphor. Should have opened with that metaphor. Why, why should you pluck out your eye, metaphorically? It's better to enter heaven with one eye than to go into hell with both. James, James knew his brother very well. He, heard, he, right, he thought about that. So all James is saying here is what Jesus said. Eternity is at stake in resisting sin. Now, if, if you're feeling, oh, there it goes, that, that does it for me. You know, you don't know how weak I am. I know how weak I am. I'm, as far as I can tell, I'm weaker than you. But if we will turn to Jesus and say, I believe, help my unbelief, help me, Lord. If we'll pull a brother and say, would you pray with me? Would you, would you speak the gospel of God's goodness to me? Would you show me who Jesus is? Home group, pray for me. Flood of power will come. And, and, and because we're so weak, it'll be clear that it's from him, and he'll get the glory, and we get the good, and it's an awesome thing. Okay, so where was I going? Okay, so I wanted to show you that, that, that to say that this is eternal death is not a strange thing, because Jesus talked that way all the time. Paul talks that way all the time. First uh, John, John talks that way all the time. Okay, so we can... So anyway, am I answering your question, though? Yeah, and, and again, left unchecked, I said. So... So I've gone five years into it. Well, repent now. Another year, repent now. You haven't died yet. You aren't in hell yet. Repent now. Okay? And as you turn back to Jesus, he'll meet you. There's other losses that can come too, but James is not addressing those here, I don't think. That's not his point here. Here he's going for the jugular. Eternity. Let's just go right to the bottom line question. Okay? Use the big guns. No pea shooters. Let's use the big guns against temptation. Okay? All right. Another, Another question. Circumstantial, circumstantial things. Satan can, Satan can bring temptations your way, okay? Um, he can try to influence you away from Jesus. But if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, he can't make you do anything. If you're trusting Jesus, okay? So that's what my point was, that he's, he's just a circumstantial thing, just like the woman at Starbucks, if you're trusting Jesus. He can't make you do anything. Does that make sense? So now, he is a fierce opponent that we need to be very concerned about. In James chapter 4, he says, he gives some amazing, I mean, James says something amazing. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is an astonishing promise. You know what we're talking about here? The devil? I mean, Jesus is very, very big, but the, the devil's big compared to me. Okay, I mean, I mean, Jesus can squash him, you know, with one hand tied behind his back, and you know, no problem at all. He can do that. But compared to me, but if you're trusting Jesus Christ, if you will resist the devil through trusting Jesus through the cross, not by gritting your teeth, but through trusting Him, Satan will flee. What does somebody look like if they are fleeing? Ah! Ah! Right? Fleeing. Okay. All right. Now, are we answering your question? I always got to come back to that. Okay, if you're not trusting Jesus, then you're fair game for Satan. And Jesus went through Israel casting demons out of people, setting people free from demons to show what he can do. He can totally free you from Satan's power right now. If you will just turn your heart and ask him. Receive him into your life as your Savior, and as your Lord, and as your treasure. And whatever holds 
Satan has had on you, whatever thoughts he's been bringing into you, whatever luring and enticing he's been doing, if you will just stop and say, Jesus, come. Jesus is just, just like he would have walked up to somebody who was demonized in Palestine. Come out of him. You'll be free. Okay? You have nothing to fear if we're trusting Jesus. And you have everything to fear if you're not. We love you. That's why I want to tell you that. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. Well, yes, and thank you. And don't even try. Right? I mean, the scriptures are all about community. Bear each other's burdens, right? Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Jesus sent them out in twos. I mean, there's 12. There's the body. Okay, we're interdependent. And so, absolutely. So, ask somebody to pray with you. Ask your home group leader. Maybe share with the home group. Maybe just share with your home group leader or brother or sister in the home group. Where two or more are gathered, there Jesus is in their midst. Power through the gospel comes. So if, if you're feeling overwhelmed by this, then listen carefully to, what, to Janie's uh, emphasis there. Because God is not standing back with his arms folded saying, let's see if you can get out of this temptation now. Right? We've already seen what God's doing. Okay? He's here. He's looking upon you with good. He's ready to help you. He will help you. He will help you. He will help you. He will help you. Right now, he'll help you. So call upon him. Turn to him. Pray with somebody. Okay, let's stand together. Jesus, I I pray that right now, I mean, we're, we're in many different places here. Some here, I would guess, are probably kind of cocky and complacent about the sin in their lives and they're just not feeling the concern. Jesus, because you love them, would you just hammer them right now with what is growing, the tumor that is growing inside of them. Please. Please, Lord, and, and others, I would guess, probably are feeling overwhelmed, thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm done for. I'm done for. I can't overcome this. And Lord, would you show them your nearness, your goodness, that all they need to do is just look to you, ask you to open their hearts, show them your goodness, ask a brother or sister to pray. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. Just call upon him. You can do that. Call upon him. The Lord is abundant in steadfast love to all who call upon him. So I pray, Lord, that wherever we're at right now, would you meet us? Would you meet us, Lord? Convict us. Comfort us. Strengthen us. Help us. Thank you that you are constantly, perfectly, unchangingly good to those who are trusting Jesus Christ. And so we have everything we need from now into eternity. So thank you, Lord.